So I want to start the month of February out playing a little game with you today. It's called the opposite game. I remember the first time my young kids came home and I realized how crazy they were. I think my son came home and he said, Dad, I hate you. Um, like they, when they were in like second or third grade. And I was like, what? And he's like, it's opposite day. Um, and I was like, you know, you probably could have led with something else, but you're eight, so you don't know what you're talking about. But I, but I want to play the opposite game. And here's what I want to do in the opposite game. I'm going to give you a word. And I want you, the first thing that pops into your head, I want you to give me the opposite of that word. So question number one, when I say hot, the opposite of that would be for you, cold. That's an easy one, right? Like that, that is a really, really easy one. Um, It's cold today. I think we'd all like it a lot warmer. When I say dark, the first word that pops into your head, the opposite would be light. That's a pretty easy one. When I say soft, the opposite of soft would be hard. I say that because the last question is going to be a little harder. I want you to think about this for a minute. But the first thing that pops into your head, when I say serving God, the opposite of serving God is... Yeah. So I've asked about a dozen people that question this week. And almost everyone says this, the opposite of serving God would be like serving Satan. I mean, like that, that would like be the, like the big answer. If you're not serving God, you're serving Satan. About half of the people said, if you're not serving God, you're serving self. Do you know that Jesus says the opposite of serving God is serving money? Like that doesn't seem to be the right answer. Like you would think the opposite of serving God would be serving the devil. Um, The opposite of God would be serving somebody else. But if you have your Bibles, I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. And I want you to pull out your notes and get your app ready. Because Jesus says the opposite of serving God is serving money. And I don't know anyone who wants to serve money. Just plain and simple. I, I, I don't know anyone who I think deep down in their heart wants to serve money. We had our people submit their 2018 words. My 2018 word, if you've been listening to our Activate podcast, is roots. I want to put down some deep roots in the spiritual priority responsibilities of my life. We've had more than 100 words come in from people, words like intentional. I think that's one of the most used words that people have gone after. Words like brave, words like thrive, words like strength, words like momentum, words like present, words like purpose. Do you know of the more than 100 words we received. Nobody said their 2018 word is rich. Nobody said their 2018 word is wealthy. Nobody said their 2018 word was to make a lot of money. No one used the word money. No one, as far as I know, wants to, in 2018, make it their goal to serve money. And Jesus most definitely doesn't want you to live this year serving money. But he gives us this one verse where he makes this statement that the opposite of serving God is serving money. And it's going to lead us into a discussion this month that I think is going to be really good for a lot of us. Here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Like I read that with a question mark in my head, God and money. Like it should be God and Satan, God and the devil. You cannot serve both God and money. Jewish teachers would often use great hyperbole, great exaggeration to get you to kind of stop, to get your attention to say, what? You can't, like you can't serve God and money. I don't, I don't think that's the right combination. And here Jesus uses this hyperbole and the exaggeration to get your attention because he's trying to make this point. Listen, money makes a terrible God. And money makes a terrifying master. Money makes a terrible God. 
One, you can never please it. You can never have enough. Two, it can never love you back. Money makes a terrible God, and it makes a terrifying master. It can set the agenda of your life. It can set the agenda of your internal mindset. And this year, we're trying to break away from that. We've got a goal this year as a church to live in times of refreshment. The Apostle Peter said in Acts 3.19 that when you begin following Jesus, times of refreshing are supposed to come to your life. And we looked at our church and we said, we've got a lot of people following Jesus and we wouldn't describe their life as refreshing. They wouldn't describe their life as refreshing. What is it about people who are following Jesus but not experiencing refreshment? What can we do to help them? And we looked at this year through that question. People who are following Jesus but not living in times of refreshing, why? We realized one of the big reasons is because our calendars are just way too busy. So we spent the month of January looking at distraction and how we've, we have to eliminate distraction so we can follow Jesus in a way that brings refreshment to our soul. And as we look and talk to people at our, in our congregation about what else is putting stress on them, we find that one of the areas that keeps Christians from living in times of refreshment is their finances. So we've got this series that is kind of two words. The, the name of the series is Broken. But we know a lot of people whose marriages are broken, whose lives are broken, whose inner peace is broken because they're broke. They're broken because they're broke. As a matter of fact, you know someone right now who is broken or breaking because financially they are so strapped. And, and we have some people who say, you know what, Christian, I'm sick of living spent. Like I am sick of every day waking up with not enough energy, not enough hope, not enough money. I hate having more month than money, month after month after month. Like I'm, I'm just sick of feeling broken because I'm a little bit broke. At least most of America is. You know, when we looked at our fearless series, we had a 90-day fearless generosity challenge, and, and we said this. We said that 50% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck and have zero retirement savings. One out of every two people in America. Either our church is the exception, or since we're in America, that, that's probably true of us. 70% of Americans have less than $1,000 in savings. Only one out of every three Americans uses and has a written budget credit card debt in the United States last year for the first time ever went over $1 trillion, just people having credit card debt. And 30% of people age 55 and older have $0 in retirement. And what we find out is people are breaking and broken because they're broke. More than that, let's just get away from those Let's just say, okay, we're the exception. That's not us. That doesn't represent our church. Okay, let me tell you what does represent our church. We had people two weeks ago kind of rank the spiritual priorities of their life from their relationship with Jesus all the way down through the relationship with their job. I was shocked at how many people I heard from personally that gave their job like a C minus or lower. Like they would say, my job is less than average. I can't tell you how many people I saw give D's to their job or F's to their job. I can't tell you how many people told me, Christian, I hate my job. Like, I hate my job. Like, I go to work, but I hate my job. It stresses me out. I don't like the people I work with. I don't even like doing what I'm doing anymore. But 10 years, you know, only 10 more years, and then I'll get retirement. And only, you know, five more years, and I can do this. I, I really hate my job. And I ask people this question. Listen, and if you're a small group leader, you should ask this question in your small group this week. I don't think it's in your notes, so you might jot it down. Here's the question I started asking some people. If money wasn't an option, would you switch careers? And you'd be shocked at how many people immediately said yes. Like if money wasn't an option, I would <clears throat> right now go do something different. Like if tomorrow I could start a new job and be paid the same thing. If money wasn't an option, 
I would immediately go do something different because I don't like the thing that I do. What they're saying is that money impacts the condition of my soul, but I got to go to work. I also ask people this question. If you could do what you're doing for the rest of your life and be happy about it without having to worry about money, would you do it? I've met a lot of other people that said, man, if I could do what I'm doing right now for the rest of my life, I could be happy for the rest of my life. However, it doesn't really pay the bills. So I've got to figure out something else to do. So I've got a job that pays the bills, but I hate it. I've got this thing that I do that I love, but it doesn't pay the bills, so I can't do it. We find out that money impacts the condition of our soul. So because we want you to follow Jesus and experience times of refreshing, here's the goal of this series this month. Here's what you want to know, what I want you to know, first and foremost. I don't want, I don't want any of your money this month. I want you to have more of your money. Like, that's the goal of this series. We don't want any more of your money. We don't need any more of your money. There will not be a single giving message in this series. We're not going to get to the end and say, okay, now that you can manage your finances, give us some. This is not a series on giving. It's a series on managing money. And some people say, well, Christian, I mean, I don't know. Shouldn't God and money be kept separate? It's a great question. Especially if maybe you've, if you haven't grown up in church or maybe you've had a bad church experience. You know, I don't know that the church should talk about God. Shouldn't God and money be kept separate? That's a great question. However, if you've ever prayed that God would like help you sell a house, if you've ever prayed that God would help you get that promotion, like you've already done that. Like you've already, you've already mixed God and money if you've ever asked him to help you with anything. So what we're doing in this series is we're looking at what the Bible has to say about money. And you need to know this. It has to say a lot. And the Bible talks exponentially more about managing money than it does giving money. So we can talk for a whole month about money without ever talking about giving. So don't check your pocketbook on the way in. We're not going to grab it. We don't want it. We want you to have more of your money, and we want you to experience times of refreshment. We want you to experience your best life, and we want you to quit saying no to God, family, and spiritual family because you got to make that money, and that runs life. So for a month, we're going to talk about that because we don't want broken people simply because they're broke. So what are we going to learn in this series? We're going to learn a couple things. Number one, we're going to learn that the law of the harvest makes it difficult to not be broken spiritually. We're going to learn that the law of the harvest makes it, not, makes it difficult to not be broken financially, which means most of us probably are going to go through seasons where we feel a little broken financially because of the law of the harvest. What is the law of the harvest? Look at Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. Here's what Scripture says about the law of the harvest. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. The law of the harvest is pretty simple. We reap what we sow. But it's not that simple. Because the law of the harvest says we reap what we sow. But just the nature of the harvest says this. We reap much, much later than we sow. And we reap much, much greater than we sow. So you're going to reap what you sow. However, you could have had great financial habits and priorities the last 10 years and not have really reaped anything from that yet. You will. It'll just be later and it'll be greater. And you could have had horrible financial practices starting in college 
and had them for 10 or 12 years before you begin to reap what you were sowing. The law of the harvest makes it difficult not to be broken financially because you reap so much further afterwards than when you sow. And here's the problem with sowing and reaping. The law of the harvest allows seasons of violation without immediate consequences. We can go four years in college using credit cards, borrowing money, making minimum payments, and not really feel it immediately. As a matter of fact, we feel the opposite. We feel the things instead of the stress that things bring. So there's not immediate consequences. I mean, do you remember the story of Pinocchio? Like if every time you lied, if your nose grew a little bit immediately, you would stop lying. Like if every time you looked at something you weren't supposed to look at on a computer or on your phone, your eyes got bigger, you would after a couple days look in the mirror and think, oh no, everyone's going to know like my eyes are huge. Like you would quit looking at things you're not supposed to look at. If we had like a video game counter of coins or lives that like hung over our head and every time we ate a big plate of fried chicken, one just like kind of ticked off and we were able to see it, like we would all get healthier and eat better. Like immediately, if that was happening, we would kind of make a change. We would transition. But we don't. That's not how, that's not how money works. We don't, every time we give in the offering, immediately get money back or blessing from God. And we don't, every time we use a plastic credit card, immediately feel the burden of debt. The law of the harvest says that comes later. And here's the reality. Immediate consequences build strong discipline. But that's something that rarely happens with money. There usually aren't immediate consequences. As a matter of fact, when you buy a house, usually that first month you don't even have to make a payment. They even delay the little bit of gratification. You can put down a down payment on a car, but then the next 60 days, you don't have to make a payment. It feels like you've got away kind of free. And then later, you begin to reap what you sow. And here's the reality. The more money you have, the easier it is to stay out of balance. I mean, when we go from poor high school kids to poor college kids, to all of a sudden we're making you know, kind of an adult income, and it's so easy to spend it all plus more and just think, you know, I'll, I'll figure it out later. And the more kind of extra we have as a young single, the more we can spend and not worry about figuring it out right now. And the extra leads to a lack of discipline and discipline leads to big problems. A lack of discipline leads to big problems. So we operate in this freedom of, well, I'll just pay it off later. Well, the more freedom you have, the bigger later becomes, the greater later becomes. You know, when I I was in college, I did a lot of really foolish things. Um, and one of the things I tried to do every time I went to college, I went to college roughly six hours from my home in Southern Ohio to kind of Western Virginia and Liberty University, roughly six hours for most people. I once made it in five hours and 10 minutes. And I know that because every time I went to college, it was a race against my old best time when I went to or from college. Every time it was a competition, every time I would track my time. And I mean, I got it down to the milliseconds of when I would need to get gas before I left, making sure I used the bathroom, making sure that I didn't drink any water. Like I would get in the car and like I literally would hit a stopwatch and say, go. And then I was racing myself home. You say, why? What would you win? Nothing. Just like the satisfaction of knowing that I got home faster than I used to get home. Uh, But I used to worry about police officers and every now and then I get a speeding ticket. And then a friend let me use their radar detector. And I remember leaving my house thinking, I am going to set the world record of driving from Southern Ohio 
to Liberty University. Someday someone will be aware of this, and it'll be my record to keep. And I just, I mean, with the freedom of a radar detector, I drove as if I was on like the Autobahn in Germany. And I got about two hours into my trip. And two hours into my trip, I noticed that cars were kind of slowing down, getting over in one lane. And there was a line of two or three police officers standing in the middle of the road. And they were letting some go, and they were just pointing at some to the side. My radar detector had never gone off, but they pointed me to the side. And he said, sir, do you know how fast you were driving? And I thought to myself, fast. But I said, no, I'm not sure how fast I was driving. And they said, you're in a section of road where we are clocking speed from the air. We've got these two white lines on the road, and we've got a plane in the air that's clocking speed. Um, and you're going fast enough for us to you know, charge you with reckless driving and, and take you away. And so I got to go back to school. And I got the largest speeding ticket I have ever received in my life, nearly got put on probation driving because I believed that I had this freedom and I wasn't going to face any punishment for how fast I was driving. The law of the harvest, because it doesn't give you immediate consequences, allows you to spend and spend and spend and spend and spend. And then here's what happens. One day you look up in your 40s and 50s, you're making more money than you have ever made in your life and you have less of it left over than you have ever had in your life. And you're now paying the fine. You're paying the tickets. Life has caught up with you from the couches to the TVs to the clothes to the trips to the restaurants to everything. Life has caught up. You, you, you lived in all this freedom and now you're buried. You've got more than you've ever had. But you cannot breathe and your life feels broken because you feel broke. The law of the harvest makes it difficult to not be broken financially. Say, so Christian, why is that important? Because reason number two, and this is why we're leaning in this month here. Because according to Scripture, your money follows your heart. According to Scripture, your money follows your heart. So let me ask you, do you know how your heart is doing? Do, do you know today how, how your heart is or even where your heart is? One of our staff members is a, a guy by the name of Jason Cummings. He's sitting right back there in that sound booth looking at me. And last September... Uh, he went into the doctor because he'd been experiencing some chest pains at, at 41. He thought maybe he pulled a muscle or something in his, in his chest. He'd, he'd just been struggling. So he went into the doctor um, and said, you know, I've been having some chest pains. Check me out. So the doctor went in and they checked him out. And they said, hey, we think you're going to be okay. No big deal. Go back to work. You'll be fine. They didn't run really any test. They just ran kind of the basic stuff and said, you're okay. Go home. The next day he came to work and had such chest pain um, working that one time it actually knocked him off his feet and our nursery director actually saw him laying on the sidewalk trying to catch his breath and she called his wife and said like you need to take Jason to the hospital something's wrong so Jason goes to the hospital they you know they look at his heart and do all this stuff and they say yeah we think you're going to be okay you're probably just some anxiety some panic however we're going to keep you overnight because none of the tests we've run have allowed us to look inside so we're going to keep you overnight we're going to run a stress test so we can look inside your heart, but we think everything's going to be okay. Daniel and I took him dinner that night, went and hung out, and I mean, he kind of told us, I'm good. They're going to let me go tomorrow. They just need to look inside my heart to verify everything's okay. So next day, they're looking inside his heart. We're waiting to hear from Michelle, and Michelle basically says, um, they did the stress test, and he has a 90% blockage of his front left um, artery running down his heart. Um, they're going to take him into emergency surgery and immediately begin to put in some stents and they can't see what's going on in the back, but if the back is bad, they're going to crack him open and they're going to have to do like bypass surgery today. See, they got inside his heart. And once they could see inside his heart, they basically said, you were one bad day away from being dead 
and leaving your wife in her 30s and your four young children behind. Like once we could see inside your heart, we knew there was trouble. Jesus says, if you want to know where your heart is, follow the money. Jesus would say, if you want to know where Christian spirit is, don't listen to his sermons. Don't read his journal. Don't look at how much he reads his Bible. If you really want to know how much Christian loves me, look at his checkbook. Look at his online bank statement. Look at his Quicken software. If you really want to know where someone's heart is, follow the money. Because where the money is, is where the heart is. Where the treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't look like how I raise my hands while we're singing songs. Look at how I spend my money. Jesus says where the treasure is, that is where you'll find the heart. And here's what you need to know today. The only reason God is even aware of your treasure is because of how much he desires your heart. Like the only reason God wants to ever talk to you about money is because he desires your heart and your heart lives wrapped inside your money. You say, God just wants all my stuff. God doesn't want all your stuff. He didn't even wear your size. Like, like, God, like God couldn't even do anything with your stuff, right? He has his own stuff. God can't spend your currency. He can't wear your shoes. He don't want your clothes. Like God doesn't want your stuff. He don't want to live in your house. His house is nicer than ours. God doesn't want your stuff. He wants your heart. And God said, your, your heart is wrapped so deeply inside your stuff that I, I, I need to go through your treasure, but not because I want it. I need to go through your treasure so I can find out where your heart is. Um, our dog, a little dog named Rudy, um, when he needs to go outside, he knows how to basically like knock on the door. He'll scratch on the door. And basically, if, if you hear Rudy scratching on the door, he has to go outside. Every now and then, like, he'll make the door a treadmill, and he'll stand up on it, and he'll just, bah, 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 like, you'll hear him, sounds like he's knocking the door down. It's like, someone put the dog out or let the dog in. Well, a few weeks ago, Danielle are sitting in the basement, and Rudy's pawing at Casey, my little girl's bathroom door. And we're like, what is, you know, he never goes in her bathroom. What does he want in there? But we're watching TV, and he's annoying us behind us because he's scratching at her door. He scratches at her door and then looks at us like, can I go in there? Because he can't reach the doorknob. And even if he couldn't, he couldn't open it. He's a dog. But he's like, you know, he'll say like, scratch it and be like, can I go in there? And we're like, stop it. And he'll scratch it again and look back at us like, hey, do you, do you hear me over there? I need to get in there. So I told Daniel, what is this crazy dog doing? So we walked over to the bathroom, opened the door, and didn't find anything. But when I left, I didn't completely shut the door. So we're watching TV and we realize Rudy's almost always on us. I mean, like, not just near us, on us, on one of our laps. And he's not there. So we're like, what is that dog doing? So we look behind us. And Rudy has one by one taken every piece of Casey's trash out of her trash. And he's kind of set it in the hallway. And then he's gone and got another one. So there's this line of trash like he's leaving breadcrumbs to something. And we're like, what is that crazy dog doing? There's got to be some, you know, something in the trash can. So we go into the trash can after, being, you know, after saying, Rudy, like, stop it. And putting him outside, um, we walk over. And I thought, what is he doing? And I looked in the trash can. And at the very bottom of the trash can was an empty bag of his treats that he could smell. And he knew, that's mine. He didn't want the trash. He wanted what was inside the trash. Your money to God is valued at trash. But he deeply wants what's inside your money, your heart. And he will pick through your trash. He'll pick through your treasure so that he can have 
your heart because that's what he wants. That's what he loves. And scripture says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So God says, I'm going to need you in your relationship to me to surrender. I'm going to need you to surrender your treasure to me. Why? Because your heart is so attached to your treasure. The only way I get your heart is if I have your treasure. And then here's what I do. I'll give it all back. I need you to surrender your treasure to me. And then once I can take your heart out of your treasure, and I know your treasure and your heart are not connected because your heart is connected to me, then I'll return your treasure to you. He doesn't want your money. He wants your heart, but he needs you to surrender your money so that he can do some spiritual surgery on you so he can forever disconnect your stuff from your heart. The reality is you can't surrender your heart unless you surrender your treasure because according to Jesus, the two can't be separated. They're together. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. You can know what someone cares deeply about by where and how they manage their money around it. And I believe this is one of the biggest misconceptions for Christians about money that well God gets his listen all of it's his I want you to think about your relationship with God as a human relationship rather than a God relationship with rules can you imagine for those of you who are married can you think back to your wedding day can you think back to what you wore can you think back to who was there can you think back to your wedding party and can you imagine now if you're getting ready to say your vows on your wedding day, can, can you imagine, you know, putting a ring on your, your bride's hand or your groom's hand and saying, you know, with this ring, I, all, I, I thee wed and with 10% of my love, with 10% of my love, I'm going to love you with the, for the rest of my life. Like, what would your spouse have said if you said to them, I want you to know you have 10% of me for the rest of my life, it's yours. I love you so deeply. I want to honor you so well. 10% of what is mine is yours. The other 90, that's mine. See, God doesn't want your 10%. We give 10% because it honors, shows gratitude, shows trust. It's this baseline of giving that we learn from Abraham. But God says, I don't want 10%. And then the other 90, you can go ruin your lives with debt and crazy living. I want you to live by my finance principles because here's why. If you don't, you're going to end up serving your stuff instead of serving me. You're going to serve your stuff instead of serving me. And God says, some of you just need to be honest enough about it that you can admit it. Because the reality is some of you, when you drive away tomorrow morning, you need to look at your house and you need to say something like this. House, this is all for you. I actually hate my job. It doesn't allow me to spend the time with my, my wife and my kids that I want to, but I work hard so I can have you. I love you, and this is all for you. You see what serving stuff looks like? Some of you, when you lock your car on the way into work, you literally need to say to your car, I want you to know today's for you. But this job doesn't allow me to throw the ball in the backyard with Billy. This job doesn't allow me to take little Sally on a date. This job doesn't allow me even time to be in a small group with people who can love me. But this job allows me to have this car. So as I lock it and it beeps, this is for you. This is for you. Some of us just need to say as we turn the light off in our closet, hey, as I go live my life today, it's for you guys. Like, it's for you. I know the lifestyle that I'm living and where I am financially doesn't even allow me to be happy when I'm with the people that I love the most. However, I can't have you without it. So today, today's for you. Your boat, your country club membership, your golf clubs, you get it, right? You get what it looks like to live for stuff. 
You know what your house will never say back to you? I love you too. And when things go wrong, I'll be here for you. You know what your car will never say back to you? I love you too. And I'm here for you when things go wrong. You know what your boat will never say back to you? I love you too. And I'm here for you when things go wrong. Jesus says you don't want to live for stuff because stuff makes a terrible, terrible master. And you can't serve two masters. You can serve God and set your life up around Hey, what works best for your relationship with God, your relationship with your family, and your engagement in spiritual family? Like, you can do life that way. Or you can go, like, serve all your stuff and just hope you have time at the end of the day left for God and family and the people who are the most important to you. And as we started this year, some of you have said, my priorities are broken. My marriage feels broken. My schedule with my kids is broken. But, man, I got a great house. I got great cars. We take great trips. And you haven't even realized it, but in your head, you're allowing them to be master instead of God. It's just the way it works. And God says, if you're not aware of this, I mean, you'll miss some really, really important things in life. So what are we doing? What are we trying to do? We're trying to learn how to just manage money God's way. That's it. We're just learning to wrap our mind around things and manage money God's way. How are we going to do that? Every week, we're going to have a little bit of a challenge These challenges will not change your life. They're just little things to kind of make you think differently. Uh, The reality is on Saturday, March 3rd, Ryan, am I right on that date? We're going to have a kind of a a half-day finance session for those of you who who say, yeah, I need some help. Saturday, March 3, we're going to have like a six-hour day with a finance professional just to help people kind of get on track. That'll be really, really valuable. Maybe you need that. After that, we'll do a, a, a finance class on Thursday nights, one hour a week for about six weeks. Some people will really, really need that as well. But these little challenges are just to dare you to begin to see whether or not you've made money more of a master than it should be and to see if maybe it's time to pursue a different path in life, managing money a different way. So what do I want you to do? Three things this week. Number one, I want you to spy on your money this week. I want you to know where every penny you spend goes. I want you to spy on your money this week. We play this game, I spy with my little eye when our kids are are young. Here's what too many adults don't spy. I spy with my little eye, not enough green again, right? Like we get to the every month and it's like, you know, where is all the money going? The very first step of managing finances is just knowing where it's all going going. Most people know there's not enough, but they don't know where what they have is actually going. So they can't even say what's taking priority over other things. So I want to challenge you this week as a couple, as a family, spy on your money this week. As Pastor Andy Stanley said, he's pastor in Atlanta. You need to be knowing where all your money is going. Like that's just the simple way, simplest way to say it. How do I begin to get my hands around finances? You, you have to know where all the money goes. How am I going to do that? Number two, I want to challenge you to track and discuss where you're spending money this week, every dime that you spend. Inside your bulletin, I've given you a little graph that you can use. You can create this on your computer. You can maybe find an app, but I want you every day to write down what you spend, where you spend it, how much it costs, and even better, who spent it. Because a lot of times we don't even know who in our family is spending what. And I want every member of your family to keep these. So for me, that's 
me, my wife, and then my 16-year-old son and my 14-year-old daughter? Where is every penny that God has given us? How are we managing that? It's not enough anymore to love God with 10% of our heart and not worry about the 90 anymore. It's time to be aware of all the resources God has given us and what we're doing with those. So I want you this week, starting today, February 4th, where you spend, um, what, what you bought or why you bought it, how much it cost, and then just put your initials in there. And every day, I want you to look at this together because we normally get to the end of the month after all the money is gone, and then we begin to fight about where it all went instead of discussing where it's all going. So just start early in the month and don't fight just have discussions. Hey, I didn't even know you spent that. I didn't know you spent that. Do we spend that every week? Do we need to spend that every week? Just begin to spy on your money, to track it and discuss where you're spending it. Some of the high school students and college students think, well, it's not even my money. It's even more important to track it when it's not your money. And I'll say this, if you're a high school or college student, your mom and dad are giving you money and you're always running out, you want to know how you get more money from your mom and dad? Go to them and say, hey, last week you gave me $20. Here's where I spent every dime of that. This week, could I have 30? Your parents would be a lot more obliged to say, well, yeah, like if you need it, than saying, hey, did you bring any change homes? Like, I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't know where it is. I just know that I need more. Begin to manage well. One of the things we'll learn about all this, high school, college students, is none of it is all money, is our money. We're all stewards of somebody else's money which is why it's so important to take care of it so well. This is heart surgery. You say, well, I get a bank statement at the end of every month. A bank statement is a doctor putting a, a stethoscope up to your heart and saying, sounds good to me. A bank statement is a bank tracking your money. I want you to look inside. I want you to look inside and discuss where, why, what, how often is this necessary? Just begin to spy on your money, track it, and discuss it this week. I, be, I believe if you begin to do that, some new light bulbs will come on that allow you to manage money God's way. And then number three, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Come back next week for message two and bring somebody who is broken because they're broke. Bring that single mom or that single dad who's really struggling because one income has been pulled away from them. Bring that friend or neighbor who you see their marriage fraying because he is just never home because he's always at work. It's not because he loves his job. It's because he needs more money. That mom that you never see sitting at the stands when all the other moms are there watching the kids, the mom who never seems to make it. It's not because she doesn't want to watch her kid play sports. It's because she can't afford to take off work. I want you to bring somebody whose life appears to be breaking maybe because they're in a pursuit of money. And I want to say this, for those of you who don't need this series, and I hope it's many of you, we need your help this month. For those of you who have already said, my life is already way too busy. If you're talking about money, I do all this stuff. I'm not going to come this month. We need you this month more than any month. We really need you in small groups because there's some people in our church that need hope. They need to know how you did it, how you do it, why it's important and how it's changed your life. And the reality was 10 years ago, Danielle and I started this journey. And I think last year, we probably had one of the most refreshing years of just not feeling like we serve money that we've ever had in our life. And it changed it, but it took 10 years. Some of you this week will begin a 10-year journey. And a decade from now, you'll have a different job, different family, different parenting strategies because... He said, I'm not going to serve money anymore. I'm not going to let my financial commitments drive my life, my marriage, my parenting, my church engagement. I'm not going to let money drive me anymore. I'm going to get a hold of this. 
And if you've been able to do that, we need you. We need what God has done in you to speak into your groups. And let me say this. Please do it humbly. Please do it humbly. Money is, is kind of a, a, a personal thing to talk about. And if, and if you're the guy or you're the gal who makes people feel bad for their credit card debt or tells them how dumb they are because they don't have a budget, that's not going to help anyone. So be humble, be helpful, and be really, really engaged this month. Final question. Why are we talking about money this month? Because who and what we ultimately serve is really important. Jesus says who and what we ultimately serve is really, really important. And a lot of times, here's the answer to why we cannot do the things most important to us. I got to go to work. Why? Because of how much you love your job? Usually it's because of how much we need the money. So money impacts our spirit and how we live. And then secondly, because God wants our heart. And Jesus says your heart is tucked deep in your money. So God's going to need your money to learn how to pull your heart out. And then he'll give you your money back. But in a way that allows you not to serve it, but instead to use it to serve others. Why is this important? Because as a Christian, you should be living in times of refreshing. Peter said, if you follow Jesus, your life should be experiencing times of refreshing. So this month, we're going to look at how we can do that through managing our finances God's way. And this week, if you track your money and begin to talk about it, maybe you'll begin this long, long journey to freedom. Let's pray together.